Ephesians chapter 2. And I'd just like to back up a little before verse 8. I'd like to begin at verse 1 instead of 8. And then read to the end. Let's hear the word of God. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he hath loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works." which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make himself of twain or two, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God into one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for habitation of God through the Spirit. 
this far. Congregation, maybe you have heard the name Neville Chamberlain. Chamberlain, the Prime Minister of England. If you know a little bit of history. In 1938, he went to Germany to talk with Adolf Hitler. And he came back from that trip and he boasted that he had signed a peace agreement. No war. He said these words, peace in our time. Peace with honor. Only to find out two years later that Adolf Hitler had started the Second World War and overran Europe. And I looked it up at some point. Did you know that from the year 1500 BC to 850 AD, more than 2,000 years, 7,500 peace treaties were signed, at least that we know about. 7,500 peace treaties. Ending war, supposedly. On average, however, they lasted no longer than two years. Why is that? Well, you know that the problem is not poor negotiation. The problem is sin, enmity, hatred against God and our neighbor. The entire opposite of what the law is all about. Instead of peace, war. You see, true peace with men and among men can be found only as a fruit of peace with God through Jesus Christ. He is our peace. We read from Ephesians chapter 2. With God's help, I want to consider that with you. Ephesians 2.14, but then look at the context as well, of course. For he, Christ, is our peace who has made both one. I don't know if you noticed how many times the word together and both appears in this chapter. Who has made both one, the two into one, and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So our theme is simple. Christ is our peace. Children, you can remember that. Christ is our peace. He not only gives peace, he is peace. He's the prince of peace. Three parts. First, one new man, one, remember the both becoming one, one new man, one divine family, and one holy habitation. So first then, one new man. We read 
in verse 15, we read, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain or two one new man. So making peace. So that's what you are a member of if indeed you are a believer. You've become part of that one new man or one new humanity in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer, if you're confessing your sins and confessing the Lord Jesus Christ to be your only hope, trusting Him and trusting yourself to Him, being at peace with God. But a key thing in this passage is the word remember. And the key thing of the Lord's Supper is remember. This do in remembrance of me. Of course you remember your sins and all your shortcomings, but you're called to look away from that and remember Jesus. Remember in verse 11. Did you notice that? Wherefore, connecting a lot of things, remember that you, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. The congregation, unless you're of Jewish descent, we're all Gentiles. Your and my ancestors were Gentiles, just like the Ephesians, lost. Where would you, where would I have been if you and I would have been born during the first 4,000 years of world history? In hell. Remember. First thing to remember is our past. As God's enemies. Our past as God's enemies. Such were, were, some of you. If indeed, you've repented and believed the gospel. Negotiations could not fix that. Only the suffering and death, and of course, preceded by the obedience of Christ, as well as his sacrifice and his resurrection. Without that, there would be no peace. Without Christ. Without God, we read that in verse 12. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens or strangers from the commonwealth of Israel. You didn't belong to the circumcised. You were uncircumcised. Strangers from the covenant. Aliens. Strangers. Outsiders. The covenants of promise. Having no hope without God in the world. Our past. But thanks be to God. We read on in verse 13. But several times in this chapter, right? But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off as Gentiles, are made nigh, brought close by the blood of Christ. So remember your past as God's enemies. Christ or the Messiah, unknown. But second, remember that now our privilege. 
as God's people. As the Jews, even so, we are declared in God's word to be God's people. The Jews were circumcised. Today, the church and the church were baptized. If you were circumcised in those days, you were part of the covenant people of God. Today, you're baptized. You're part of the covenant people of God. Our privileges as God's people. Set apart from the world. That does not mean you're saved by that. But you're set apart. Privileged. To hear there is salvation. Yeshua. Jesus. The Christ. So Christ is revealed to us. Well, so many people still do not know that name. So not only in the first 4,000 years, but even in the the last 2,000 years, still many people perish without ever hearing that. Remember your privilege. As God's people, having made Christ known to us, not saved by that, But we are God's covenant people. I am the Lord, thy God, every Sunday morning. Set free from Egypt. I don't know how many of you have ever been in Egypt. I have not. And yet we are every Sunday morning that we have been set free from Egypt. Set free on the way to Canaan. By the shedding of blood, the Passover lamb which is pictured in the Lord's Supper. But not everyone entered the promised land. So in the Old Testament, it was the Jews only. In the New Testament, after Pentecost, it's Jews and Gentiles are included now. The middle wall of partition, we read in verse 14, broken down. He is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Children and older ones, do you know what that middle wall of partition was? It was a literal wall. Five foot high to separate the court of the Gentiles from the court of the Jews in the temple. In 1871, they found a piece of it, archaeologists did, with the inscription, No stranger to enter. Whoever does has himself to blame for his death. Well, when Jesus died, God rent the veil. He tore the curtain of the temple in two to open the way of salvation. Not just for the high priest once a year but for everyone who believes. The Jews fixed it. But it was destroyed, that middle wall. The Jews didn't take it down. The Romans did in the year 70 AD. But that middle wall had to be destroyed as a result of that curtain being 
torn apart. The way was made open, not just for Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. Free access to God. So one new humanity. So we looked at our past as God's enemies, at our privilege as God's people. So Christ unknown, Christ revealed. But then third, our present as God's friends. Christ not only revealed, but received, embraced. If indeed you are a believer. Then you're not only set free from Egypt and carried through the the wilderness of this world, but also enter into the promised land by faith now. We'll look at that again, Lord willing, at, at at our second table. When we have the second table, I want to go back to this beginning of this chapter where, where we see how we are already in heavenly places. By grace, through faith. Enemies changed into friends. Are you? Having been changed from an enemy into a friend and still being changed into the friendship of God. If that is, then the Lord's Supper is for you. If not, then the Lord's Supper is not for you. But he said, this is in remembrance of me. So what would you have to remember if you have not had those changes of affections and thoughts and, and, and convictions of sin and fleeing to Christ and treasuring his suffering and his death on your behalf? What would you remember at the table? So the Son of Man, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice, as a man, the God-man Christ Jesus. Remember who you were. Remember who you are by the grace of God. So that's the first thing. One new man. Christ is our peace. One new humanity. Second, one divine family. One divine family. You see, we're not just only made friends or citizens in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, but also children of one family. One divine family incorporated into the fellowship with God through Christ. And the Holy Spirit. We're not only brought near the border of Canaan, but into it by grace and through faith. By Him who is peace. The first thing here we see in these verses is that He preaches peace. And children, if He if you, you, if you know something about this, maybe you have also a desire, you wish that you be old enough to partake of the Lord's Supper. Well, until you do confession of faith, you cannot yet, but you can partake of Christ. And long and wait for that day and, and learn. And then you ask one time, if you make 
confession of faith. So that you may also have this blessing. He preaches peace to all of us. One name given under heaven, whereby we must be saved, may be saved. One Savior, the Prince of Peace, as he's called in Isaiah 9. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But not only does he preach peace, he also works peace. As you move from 17 to 18, in 17 you read, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off. 17, he preached peace to you that were afar off, and to them that were nigh, both the Jews and the Gentiles. But verse 18, for through him, that is Jesus, we both have access into one spirit unto the Father. He not only preaches to us, but he draws us in. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Through him we have access into the triune God. You notice the triune focus here in these verses. A couple times you see that. Verse 18 is one of them. Through him, that is Jesus, we both have access by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, unto the Father. Jesus being the the way, the truth, and the life, without whom no man can come to the Father. So through him we have access, we have entrance, we are being received into that fellowship. But then not only does he preach and work peace, but he shares it, which is evident a result of that. He will share it with us, and we will share it with him. That's what the word fellowship, communion, is all about. It's a relationship. As a father with his children, through the older son, the Lord Jesus. So it's not only something given to us, but experienced by us as well. And so often that experience goes through ways that you didn't quite expect. You don't always feel that peace or feel that joy. If, if it goes by feeling, sometimes you feel far from God because of your sins and shortcomings. I read something not that long ago that really helped me. It said something, I forget where I read it. If you feel far from God because of your sins and shortcomings, you may well be closer to him than you think and than you ever were before. And I was reading that, I think, why? And then he explained it very simple. The closer to the light, the more dirt you see. You often don't see the light, but you see the dirt. That was really helpful to me. We know it's the sorrow for our sin and also the joy in Christ as we hear in the catechism, but at the same time we know that so often we don't feel it.
As Luther once said to a man who was overwhelmed by his sins and Luther explained the gospel and the man says, yeah, but I don't feel that my sins are forgiven. Luther said, man, you must not feel that your sins are forgiven, but believe that your sins are forgiven. Whatever way the Lord will lead you through, whatever feelings will accompany it. And if that joy and that peace that passes all understanding isn't right away there, it will come. Cling to the promise. He is our peace. So, is it something that you sometimes feel maybe stronger than other times, or sometimes maybe much joy, but sometimes not? Certainly not as we should. But do you desire it to be stronger? Have more glimpses of it? Even the most impressive glimpse of the glory of God in Christ that any believer ever experienced is nothing compared to what is laid up yet for us. By moments, glimpses, some foresight, foretaste of what is to come. See, then this Lord's Supper is meant to strengthen that weak faith in a strong Savior. It's interesting, that brings to a third point here, the holy habitation or dwelling place, which this chapter speaks about toward the end, the last couple of verses. You know, the word church is many times used throughout the letter to the Ephesians is a lot about the church. But in this chapter, he doesn't use a word. He uses different words, different word pictures. Children, did you catch them? Already used one or two. The new humanity, the new man, humanity. Another word for church. If a 16, one body, not much said about it right now. But then also we read in verse 12, one household. I use the word family. That's really what a household is about. It's about a family. And then the last part of this chapter is about one building. A building. And when you think of a building, you think of like this. is a building, right? Or a house. But you know, in these verses, verses 21 and 22 speaks about building, 21, 22 about a habitation, a place where God dwells or lives. Remember, we are drawn into that if we're a true believer. So one thing here, the first thing you see to see is that there's one foundation laid. One foundation. Speaks clearly about that one foundation, isn't it? Verse 20. Jesus himself. All of it built upon the foundation, the foundation, of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We sang about that from Psalm 118. I find it such a beautiful text to see where the Old and the New Testament are in perfect harmony. Preaching the same thing. Speaking about apostles and prophets. 
But Jesus Christ himself, preaching through it, revealing himself through it, working through, speaking through, human voices. As even right now. Speaking through human voice. He is our peace. That we would see no man but Jesus. Hear him. Of course, we cannot see him with our eyes. But we see him with the eye of faith. How important is the foundation of a building? Maybe some of you are builders. You know that if the foundation is not right, the building is not going to be right. And we know the parable of the Lord Jesus, the house of built on sand or on the rock. The rock of ages. The one and only foundation. If the keystone or the cornerstone is right, the whole building is solid, straight, right. Paul alludes to Isaiah 28, verse 16. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, tested, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And Jesus quoting Psalm 118, the stone which the builders refused to become the head of the headstone of the corner. So if you refused to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus, then you have nothing to remember. For you cannot remember something you've never done. We have a really hard time sometimes remembering the things we have done. We're so forgetful. We're called to remember. That's why the Lord Jesus and God himself throughout the Old and the New Testament had all these ordinances. Feast days, lest you forget. Remember. One foundation laid. Not that these apostles and the prophets were the foundation, but they revealed that foundation. They were witnesses of it. Christ through them. And then the second thing is one building framed So one foundation laid by God, but then the building itself is being framed. You know what? When people build a house, they they frame. They are sometimes called framers. What have you been doing? I've been framing a house, setting up the frame, the framework, and then all the rest will be added later on. Verse 21. In whom the building, fitly framed together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Fitly framed. Join into that building. Into one holy temple. Both Jews and Gentiles. And both Jews and Gentiles could identify with temples. When the Jews had a magnificent temple in Jerusalem, but so did the Ephesians had a magnificent temple in Ephesus. For Diana, their goddess. But they had to look away from those temples. They had to look to Christ. 
And each member had to be fitly framed, completed, to fit. Like Peter says, lively or living stones built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So it's a work that is done by God, yet also worked out by us. God works it in, and we are called to work it out, as you read in Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation. It doesn't say work your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. With fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So what God works in, we work out. So that building is fit together with stones that are taken from all over and they were chiseled down to fit. That's what God does. When he justifies, he also sanctifies. He chops off all what is still of self. So it would fit in that fitly framed building. By nature, we won't fit there. You know the temple, how precisely they did, children. Maybe you heard about that, that every stone had to be chiseled outside and it had to be brought in. And if it didn't fit, they wouldn't chisel it foot. They would take it out and perhaps reuse it or just discard it. It had to fit exactly. And that's not our doing, but God's. We can't always see it or feel it that we fit in. We feel sometimes ourselves so totally unfit. So the church is still being built. Just like as in Jesus' days, in the apostles' days, being added daily, such as should be saved, or you could say should be being saved. There's a one-time moment of justification. Not everyone knows exactly that moment, but we do know and we will know about sanctification as an ongoing process. Every time pride rears its ugly head, God cuts that down to refocus on Jesus. He is our peace. That's the only way to have peace with God. So one foundation laid, one building framed, and then third, one habitation enjoyed. Habitation is a dwelling place, a place where you live. Your home is your habitation. That's an old word for living, dwelling. In that building. We read in verse 21, we read, In whom all the building, fitly framed together, grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in the Lord in whom also you are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Not only we with God, but God not only with us, but in us. Jesus said he would not send the Spirit just to be with us, but in us, that he would be in us. You see, the temple of God, or the habitation of God, or the dwelling place of God, never was meant to be a tent made of linen. It was never meant to be a temple made of wood and stone. This is not the church. 
This is a building. You, we are the church. I remember for the first time years ago, somehow I found out about this. I was reading it somewhere, I think. My memory is not good to remember exactly where I read that, but this is what I read. We're not going to church on Sunday, but we go to God as the church. We are the church. If indeed you're a believer, but even if you're not a believer, you're still part of the covenant people of God. How terrifying, how horrific it must be to be raised and grown up in a church as part of God's covenant people and not enter into the promised land. And that's why we are to remember and be reminded of our privileges. Every Lord's Day, but particularly less frequently, but through this Lord's Supper. Remember the price paid. Remember the precious privileges you have. Never meant, the habitation of God never was meant to be a building of fabric or wooden stone, but flesh and blood. Pictured, revealed through Christ, God in the flesh. So that the first Adam's sin and corruption may be replaced in the second Adam, the Lord Jesus. So never meant to be a building of fabric and stone, but also never meant to be for the Jews only. That was one of the big mistakes that the Pharisees made. They thought, oh, we are the children of Abraham. And as they were saying the word Abraham, they were actually, the very words they spoke were flying in their face because the, the name Abraham means father of many nations. So even when they were bragging that they were children of Abraham, they were testifying thereby by saying to Abraham that they were not the only people. And think about that. How totally deluded and blinded they were. Same for us. We're not the only people of God. They may not all look and act and think like we do. But if their hope is in Christ and they come as a sinner every time to God pleading their forgiveness, they're in that building. They're part of that building. God gave a Savior to the world, I read, through the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And the third thing, it was never meant to be a slavery. Never meant to be bondage. They were set free from that. Out of Egypt. Out of the house of bondage. What a privilege we have. What a blessing. It was never meant to be slavery. But freedom and feasting. The older I get, the more I begin to realize that. What do they call all these special Days and weeks in the year, they call them feast days. The Sabbath was a feast day. It was a blessing, not a burden. 
When the prodigal son came home, we read in Luke 15, that the father said it was meet or fitting or suitable that we should make merry, be happy, rejoice. We should make merry. So in other words, we must rejoice. Not only may rejoice, we must rejoice. We should rejoice. We ought to rejoice. And be glad. For he says, this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. If that is a picture of you in one way or another, join this feast. The Lord's Supper is a feast of commemoration. Even though we, we commemorate the death of Jesus, we know that it's in the perspective of resurrection, ascension, and eternal glory. New heaven, new earth. It's a foretaste. Or are you like the older brother? Refusing to join the feast. Why? Why did he not join the feast? Why was he not happy? He did not realize that he too was a sinner. But then think he needed the great physician. So the more you realize you are like the prodigal son, the more you realize what a sinner you are, the more you cry out for mercy, the more you put your trust in the Lord and in his word only, the more you should be encouraged and invited and welcomed to join this commemorative feast. Thereby declaring, I have no hope apart from Christ. No peace with God apart from him who is Christ is our peace. And that's why Jesus says, this do in remembrance of me. So you may have peace with God. Even when you do not feel it. It's a fact that trumps our feelings. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank thee for hearing thy word. Pray, Lord, for, for thy blessing on it, for thy Holy Spirit to seal it to our hearts and minds. We pray now, Lord, as we join one another at thy table, that thou wilt manifest thyself as we have our thoughts directed above and beyond what is visible. Yet at the same time, Lord, be encouraged in our faith and strengthened. Forgive us our sins. Help us to remember rightly. To truly do as thou hast said, this do in remembrance of me. We pray this in Jesus' name.